Welcome to the Tiny Living Beings podcast. I'm your host, Julia Van Etten. Each episode, I have a conversation with a scientist about a microorganism they like and why it's interesting to them. Our planet is full of billions of different microscopic organisms, most of which are still unknown to science. The ones we do know are diverse and strange. This week, I spoke with Chloe Savard, aka Tardy Babe, about, you guessed it, tardigrades. So far, this podcast has been very focused on unicellular microbes, so it was nice to talk about a microscopic animal for a change. Tardigrades have become somewhat of an annoyance for me. People always ask me about them when I sell prints at flea markets or in my DMs on Instagram, and they're very loved by the public. The reason this bothers me so much is because the information on the internet about these animals is completely sensationalized and exaggerated and sometimes even fabricated, which is sad because they're very interesting organisms without all the inaccurate fanfare. And I wish I didn't have to let people down when I tell them that the factoid they bring up to me isn't factual at all. So this week, Chloe talks all about what tardigrades are, what they look like, and how to find them in nature. She also helps me debunk some misleading and clickbaity headlines about them. It was so much fun talking to someone so passionate about these organisms, and I think you'll all really enjoy what she has to say. I actually can't think of a better person to have on or someone who has spent more time observing tardigrade behavior under the microscope. So welcome to the Tardigrade Takedown. For more information about microbes of the podcast, follow at couch underscore microscopy on Instagram or at couch microscopy on Twitter. While some of the content on this podcast may be relevant to human or veterinary medicine, this information is not medical advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the host and guest and do not reflect the views of any institution. Enjoy the episode. I am. Okay, let's do this. Okay, let me put on my, my podcast voice. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Tiny Living Beings. I'm here with Chloe, who is a microbiology student at the University of Montreal. She's also a microscopist and runs the amazing social media account Tardy Babe. Hi, Chloe. How's it going? Hey, it's going well. And you? I'm good. I'm really excited for today. Me too. Before we get started, could you give a summary of your scientific background and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I used to study music, but then five years ago, I decided to switch to uh, microbiology and uh, immunology. After I saw some mind-blowing images of microscopic creatures on the internet from Penny Phantom and uh, Martin that runs uh, my microscopic world. And when I saw these images, I was like, that is amazing. I need to do the same. And I kind of got really into microbiology at the time. So three years ago, I started uh, the program at my university. And around the same time, I bought my first microscope and started exploring things in my house or on my balcony, like rainwater from a pot or stuff like this. And then I started adding Instagram and a couple months later, I added music and had more fun with the editing. And then I started to do a bit more research and write some infos and fun facts about everything I was posting so that sums it up, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So what are we going to talk about today? Tardigrades, obviously, because they're one of my favorite microbes and everyone loves tardigrades, of course. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, well, I have tardy babe 
to talk about tardigrades. So this is, <laughs> this is perfect. Um, and I so, cannot disappoint. <laughs> yeah, you better not. <laughs> <laughs> My first question is just going to obviously be, what is a tardigrade? Tardigrades are microscopic animals, aquatic invertebrates, to be more precise. They have uh, eight legs with pointy little claws, a round mouth that makes them look like piglets. And so the nickname moss piglets uh, Mm -hmm. comes from that. They have some little eyes and a small brain with three lobes. So they're pretty sentient beings and they're really cool to observe under the microscope. They're Famous for their ability to survive extreme environments by undergoing a process called cryptobiosis that I think we're going to discuss yep. a bit more later. So you need a microscope to observe them because their size is usually like 0.1 millimeters to 1.2. You can find them in lichens, mosses, water sediments, and I even saw some uh, scientists that was finding some on water lilies. So. Oh. You can find them at a lot of different places for sure. Yeah, so depending on the species, they can feed on various organisms. Some are like vegetarian and feed exclusively on algae, but some others can feed on mites, nematodes, and even other tardigrades. Since they're aquatic animals, they need a fine film of water to be uh, active, so to grow, feed, and reproduce. And when water is absent... That's when they enter uh, cryptobiosis and sleep it until water comes back. That was a great description. And I just want to say to anyone listening that this is the first episode of this podcast about an animal. So like, yeah. And the only rule I had for this podcast was that everything we talk about has to be microscopic. And so there are microscopic animals. Like we've mostly talked about bacteria and protists and archaea. I might do a fungus episode, but... But yeah, so first animal, I'm very excited. And so you mentioned a little bit about what they look like, but could you describe, I guess, like if you were to find one under the microscope, what would it look like? Or if, if, you know, if someone listening found one under the microscope, what would they maybe be seeing? Depending on the species, they can be dark or colorful, like bright orange, but usually they're mostly transparent. So you can see like through them because of light passes through they have long claws and some look a bit like gummy bears <laughs> and <laughs> like some uh, cute like uh, hipsy bees i think they're the cutest because they really look like gummy bears and there's another uh, species that look more like a little monster i think like they're orange with enormous claws but they're really cool to observe too yeah, is that um, one of is that one of the marine ones? I've seen some videos of marine tardigrades oh, that are like that are kind of freaky looking. Yeah, they look like gecko. Legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't live near a marine or like a ocean or sure. sea, so I I never have the opportunity to look at those. But yeah, it's one of my life goal, <laughs> like to find a marine tardigrade. And uh, one of my friends that live in Australia found one with eight claws per leg. Whoa! Yeah, and I only read about it. And when I saw that he found some, I was like, oh, so jealous. But at the same time, I'm happy for him because it's so cool to discover a new species that you personally haven't found. Of course. So, yeah, so their mor- morphology is really, really different depending on how they evolved. Yeah, and 
We'll talk a little more about that next. But I do want to say like two of your points I think were so good. One is that they are transparent, which I think a lot of people don't know because, you know, everyone says, oh, water bears, they're so cute. And I think like a lot of the pictures that go around in the articles about them were taken with electron microscopes where they're like, yes, yeah, yeah, where they have to artificially color the photos, which is how electron micrographs work, which is fine. But they look like they're in these like space suits and they look all like chubby and weird. And like <laughs> under the microscope, they just kind of look like clear little animals. And the electron photographies, they look a bit like 3D models. Well, they're yeah. a bit like 3D models. So they look like monsters. Some are, are not even that cute, like in yeah. electron microscope. But under a light microscopy, they look really like wishable and like you would love to give them a hug. But <laughs> under the electron microscope, they, they look like monsters. Well, from what I saw. <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally right. And that's one of the other points I was going to bring up is we all think they're so cute. They're these little water bears. They're, they're these little moss piglets. And they are cute, but sometimes they're like kind of spiky and weird looking. <laughs> so <laughs> they definitely vary. And so I was going to ask you because you mentioned they can tolerate a wide variety of environments. And we'll talk about cryptobiosis, but for every physiological trait that helps an organism's survival, there's some sort of underlying genomic feature that enables it. So could you talk a little bit about what's interesting about their genomes? Yes, absolutely. From what I read, there was one article that says that around 18% of the, the genes of the third degree that had foreign origin. So like they would have acquired those genes from other organisms. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it well, because you have read more maybe about horizontal gene transfer, and I wasn't sure like the mechanism. I, I've read a lot about bacteria, uh, horizontal gene transfer, but I have no idea how that would work with animals. So... I don't know if you read something. No, so that's a really good question. So that's one of the things I studied for my PhD and no one knows. There's a bunch of different ways foreign genes can get into new organisms, but like mm -hmm. we don't always know how and most of the time we don't really know how. <laughs> Often it's like if bacteria are maybe like living inside another organism, yeah, exactly. they'll transfer genes. But in an animal, it has to be transferred to the germ cells or else mm. they won't pass the new DNA on. You know, people say it could come from viruses also, but we don't we don't really know. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So for animals, I was a bit like uncertain, but yeah, it has been stipulated that around 17.5% of their gene uh, would have a foreign origin. So that would partially explain how they acquired their stress tolerance, mm -hmm. like rapid desiccation or tolerance to radiation. But I've read some other article that were suggesting that this discovery was more an error and would be due to bacterial contamination. So this one, like, we can keep it in mind, but I think it would have to be replicated many other times so we know it's really true. Sure. But there are some special proteins that have been found in some species like uh, Ramazotius, and it's one of the most stress-tolerant tardigrade species. It can withstand high levels of radiation, that would normally induce severe DNA lesions and 
that. And yeah, in this species, researchers found a unique tardigrade protein that has never been found in any other organism. So it, it's a protein that is encoded in their genome. Uh, it's named DSUP or maybe DSUP, but I prefer DSUP. I think you know. <laughs> it's cooler. It's named DSUP for a damage suppressor. And it repairs a large proportion of the DNA breaks uh, induced by radiation like X-rays. So this protein has been found to improve viability of uh, irradiated human cultured cells too. So it's really an, uh, an interesting mechanism. And I'm sure it could be used in many other applications because it repairs damaged DNA from stuff that can induce even damage in our own DNA. Yeah. So it could be cool like to investigate further with these special proteins. There's another unique tardigrade protein that has been discovered last year. They called it the CAS, uh, not CAS like C-A-S, but with a H, so C-A-H-S for cytoplasmic abundant heat solube. And it would basically protect water bears from dehydration when there is not enough water and water bears start shrinking and become like a small raisin, uh, this protein creates a, a net of filaments and it creates like a gel, like the, the cells become like more stiff and rigid. And so it protects the water bear from uh, deformation and mechanical damage to the whole organism. And when water becomes abundant again, and they start to rehydrate, well, this protein, all the network is being degraded. So they can start and be active again. So it's a really cool mechanism. And this is just the beginning. Like, I'm sure in the future, there will be much, much more protein than DNA repair mechanism that will be found because I think it's in the last like 20, 30 years that water bears are being more studied. But yeah, I think in the future, we'll have like much, much more new mechanisms that will be discovered from those little creatures. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And so as I've mentioned to you outside of the podcast, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about tardigrades out there. And that was one of the motivations for doing this episode. And one of the main things that I see online is that since tardigrades can tolerate these extreme environmental conditions, I think a lot of people just think that they like walk around in really cold temperatures or they just walk <laughs> they walk around with no water and they're living their lives completely dried out and you mentioned earlier cryptobiosis so i was wondering if you could now explain cryptobiosis and how these organisms actually survive in these stressful conditions <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And another misconception, too, is that they never die. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but I personally have killed some, not on purpose, of course, but they're pretty fragile creatures, yes. especially when they're not under cryptobiosis. I think they can within a certain amount of osmotic stress and radiation when active, but when it's freezing cold or there's no oxygen or there's no water, they become almost completely inactive i think there's a small small proportion of their metabolism that is still active but if there's no water anymore they shrink until they become a little barrel or a reason so yeah they don't move they don't eat they just pause until water comes back so when they're in their active state and if you compile 
when they're only in their active state, they live like maybe some a couple months. But they, yeah, they can live years under cryptobiosis. So when they're under stress, they enter this state of almost like suspended animation where they, they exactly just, they curl up into a ball and and they're not thriving. They're basically almost like hibernating or something. Like Absolutely. They're, they're just yeah. on pause until yeah. water or oxygen becomes abundant. So, yeah, and there's like different types of cryptobiosis. Like mm-hmm. they, they shrink like a little reason when there's no water. But when there's no oxygen, they become really hard and they are all expanded. And I saw some that I thought they were dead or I mm. thought it was only the exuvia that was still there. But when there's not enough oxygen, their whole body stays the same. They're just not moving. And I didn't even know that before. So sometimes when I check some moss samples and I'm like, oh, no, this one is dead. Probably there's just a lack of oxygen. But those that are completely dried out, I can't even spot them because they they look like debris or some small raisin (laughs) or barrel. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm glad you explained that. I think, you know, every time, because I do a lot of microscopy, like every time I talk to people about it, they always ask me about tardigrades. And I say the same thing, like, I kill them all the time. Like whenever I find one or have have one on my slide, if it's under the slide for too long and, and the water starts drying up, they get completely squashed. Yeah. They explode. Like they, they totally <laughs> die. And and when they're in this state of cryptobiosis, they're not they're not like walking around enjoying themselves. They're not eating. They're not being cute. They're just like no. they're just kind of being alive. And I think you know, I think I read somewhere that if there's stressful conditions, a lot of them do die. Just like some of them will go into cryptobiosis. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Some will never wake up, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry for uh, yeah. blowing out the mood. No, it's the, <laughs> but, it's the yeah. circle of life. <laughs> so, yeah. And when I started microscopy, like I was squishing everything under a, the cover slip. Like, I was putting cover slip on everything, like daphnias and ostracods and everything, and they would just break and die. Yeah. But now, I, when I can, like, most of the time, I don't use a cover slip anymore, just because I know how stressful it is for the organism. There is one organism that won't eat when you put a cover slip on. Like, uh, I don't know if you know the Lacrimaria mm-hmm. olor. The, the so ciliate? It's really, yeah. So it's really cool to watch them catch some prey and everything. But when I put a cover slip on, they start doing it. And I realize a lot of organisms, their their um, behavior changes. Oh, totally. And that's, totally. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because it's like putting a cover slip on a slide. It makes the environment much less three-dimensional. Like even, even though they're microbes and it's still three-dimensional, it's kind of flat. They can't like, yeah. They can't move in all directions and do what they normally do. That makes sense. What's the coolest thing you've seen a tardigrade doing under the microscope? Have you ever seen anything like weird? Um, I guess eating and pooping and <laughs> <laughs> basic stuff, but still really, really enjoyable. Also, when I had a culture that was really thriving, I used to subculture them. And each mm-hmm. time you subculture them, they start like doing babies mm-hmm. like they're in crazy mode. So I had some videos of uh, thirty grades hatching and or getting out of the mother exuvia for the for the first time, and I think this 
was some of my most exciting videos of 30 grade. Well, personally, like I couldn't sleep because I was so excited. It was like a major moment. But uh, yeah, it's been like two years now and I don't have any culture of them. I, I, I think I'm going to try to restart a culture during the summer, but it's hard to keep them in culture. Yeah, that's really cool. So can you talk a little bit more about how to keep them alive in culture? Yeah, well, I think it depends on the species. The one I had in culture was Ipsibius. And it's hard because they're adapted to undergo cycles. So they dry out and then they're active and they dry out, blah, 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 all the time. So keeping them in water 24 hours, seven days, it's not really natural. So they will get diseases like fungus, Mm. fungi diseases. I saw like one of my culture would just completely die because of a fungus. I didn't know how to treat them. So it's a bit complicated, but they usually only need uh, some algae that I bought online. And I was feeding them like once a week. And then I kept subculturing them because the population would just never stop growing. Or there would be like a point where they wouldn't make babies anymore because there was too much tardigrade in the medium. So it's a bit tricky. And it's hard to do it from a, a moss sample because it will easily get contaminated by bacteria, fungi, ciliate that become too abundant. So yeah, it's a bit hard. Yeah. Yeah, and the temperature sense. too during the summer, if you don't have air conditioner or everything, if the temperature is too hot, there won't be any oxygen anymore and they die for real. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. So see, people listening, they die. They die all the time. If the temperature's a little too warm, they die. <laughs> they do die, and that's really sad, but yeah. it's the reality. Yeah, and that's cool that you were able to culture them on your own. And And I get a lot of questions about where to find tardigrades, and I know you mentioned mosses and lichens, but could you, could yes. you, could you talk a little more about how you go out and find them? Like, what do you do? Yeah, uh, well... It can be tricky because you need to find a spot where there are some tardigrades and sometimes you can like sample 10 different places and not find one. But I found this rock that has a lot of them. Oh, that's cool. Like a big rock at the Botanical Garden of Montreal. So I go there. I take a sample of moss from the magic rock. I put it in water. You can either put it in like bottled water or uh, tap water for 24 hours and then you squeeze the water out of the moss into a petri dish and usually what i do is i put directly the petri dish under the microscope to like spot where they are and then i pipette them onto a slide and add some clean water for the debris to be less abundant and i keep doing this until there's no more debris and then i put the cover slip on it and i make sure there's way more water that is needed so I don't yeah. squish them immediately and I remove water little by little and see how they react and I remove water until they're able to walk on the cover slip that's cool yeah that's really interesting yeah. <laughs> so I guess your advice is to keep looking until you find a really good rock that's it <laughs> <laughs> but like my first study grade I think I found it in the some moss in the sidewalk crack near my home so it's really like some chance and to try different spots if you don't find some in one spot keep looking at other spots and you 
probably will find some. And try lichens from trees too. I haven't been doing this much, but when I did it, I found some pretty easily. So both are good options. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think especially when people just start with microscopy, they really want to find tardigrades. I think that's the motivation behind a lot of people starting microscopy. And I think it's it's harder to find them than they think. Like I've only found them a few times and I almost they're almost always dead. I feel like when I find them. Um, But oh no. Yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. Like my favorite part about microscopy and looking at microbes is kind of like the hunt, like going to new places and taking new water samples and seeing what different things come up. So I think that's that's cool advice. Just keep exploring. Yeah, and it's always like a a surprise. Some samples, like freshwater samples, I take from a park, a pond from a park near my home. I thought there would be nothing in there, and I found some organism I didn't found anywhere else. So it's always a surprise, and like if if there's a bit of water somewhere, chances are you'll find something cool. And sometimes it's the opposite. That sometimes it's like, oh, I'm I'm sure I'll find tons of cool organism, and there's almost nothing in the sample. So. It's like gambling sometimes, but there's a lot of amazing surprises too, so. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you pick up all this, like, slime and there's nothing interesting. And then, like, I still talk about this one sample I collected two years ago from this park across the street from my apartment. I just scooped up a jar of water from a puddle like it wasn't even a pond and there I found like the coolest stuff like it, I I think I still post stuff from that sample because I, I took so much <laughs> video from that one sample nice. I had like hours and oh, hours of footage yeah so, oh nice well all right we discussed before we we're gonna play kind of a little game today so I'm calling it the tardigrade takedown And (laughs) I'm going to read you some tardigrade-related headlines that I found online. And if you could explain maybe some of the science behind if they're true, false, or a little bit of both. So are you ready? I am. (laughs) Okay. Tardigrade takedown. Let's see. The first headline is from I Fucking Love Science, which, like, I, I, in my opinion, over the years has become trash a little bit no offense no offense I mean I think no offense but (laughs) I know I think they follow me but and I follow them but a lot of the stuff they post is very clickbaity but they had yeah they had an article titled tardigrades survive being fired out of a gun but can they travel on meteorites and I will say that this article, I didn't read the whole thing, but I skimmed it and it implied that tardigrades could have theoretically come here from another planet, <laughs> which I thought was silly. Oh my God. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I know they can survive being fired out of a gun because cool. there was some research about it, mm-hmm. but they die. I don't remember like what was the force, but there was a point where they couldn't survive anymore. So... If they can't survive at a certain speed being fired out of a gun, they wouldn't be able to travel on meteorites because the impact on Earth would be really, really, really greater than being fired out of a gun. Yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) But I love that they're trying to make it like a sci-fi movie like Star Trek or Ant-Man or 
like it would be amazing you know that we had some animals here that comes from another planet but of course it's it yeah but i think it it's not really a possibility well no. especially if they can survive being fired out of a gun at a certain speed yeah so that's my final answer great and i think that like as somebody <laughs> like i'm you know i mostly study non-animal microbes and there's a lot of hypotheses in astrobiology about different bacteria or prokaryotes maybe being able to live on a meteorite like that's very interesting to me I think people really mm-hmm. people really want to push this idea that animals can travel through space and like yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and it would be hard to do some research on this yeah I also think it would have been fun to be the scientist who got to shoot a gun with a tardigrade in it, though. That seems like a weird, <laughs> weird project to propose to your really? boss. Yeah. Oh my God, that's brutal. Uh, when I read that last year, I was like, they will try everything with tardigrades. Yeah, I don't know who did that research, and I know you're in Canada, but in America, it would be very easy. You could just go into a yeah. you could just go into a Walmart and get a gun and <laughs> shoot, oh my god, shoot that's tardigrade. Um, I can't even conceive like being able to do this. It's so stupid. Where, where do you live exactly? I live in New Jersey, so you actually cannot you cannot just go buy a gun in New Jersey, which makes me feel okay, safe, okay. safe and happy. But yeah. But in most other places, you can just say, I want a gun today. And you can oh just my God. buy one. <laughs> Super weird. But yeah. Anyway, next headline. Um, <laughs> tardigrades might be the first animal to be quantum entangled and live. That's also from I Fucking Love Science. Uh, to be completely honest, I have no idea what quantum entangled means. I don't really know what it means either. And I don't. I, know, I have to ask Chat GPT to explain me <laughs> <laughs> what it is because I know it's like a lot of physics stuff, yeah. and I suck at physics. So I guess. Yeah. So it was like okay. So it says quantum entanglement is a bizarre, counterintuitive phenomenon that explains how two subatomic particles can be intimately linked to each other, even if separated by billions of light years of space. And I, I definitely have read about it. Like, I think it's like that idea that like time travel could be possible because like if if all yeah. if all the atoms or subatomic particles, whatever, if they're linked to other particles in like another galaxy, you could theoretically travel through time and space or something. Mm. But like, I don't know oh why God. I don't know why a tardigrade would be involved and why they'd be more likely to be entangled than something else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea either because they can survive stuff. But I'll have trouble to comment this one, though. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we can skip this one. So, All right. So the third... I'm sorry. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> third one, <laughs> same source. Tardigrades could be sent across the stars to study the effects of interstellar travel. I guess this one's kind of similar to the last one, so... <laughs> Yeah, and to the traveling on meteorites. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they they're still trying to push the the sci-fi Star Trek thing. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's sad because I think real science is much more interesting than sci-fi stuff. But I'm I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> like my mom, uh, listened to uh, Star Trek the new series. And they use a huge tardigrade to uh, space travel, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. 
So I kind of get why they posted this. It's like mm. they're taking the sci-fi community and the science community and trying to put them together and people will be like, oh my God, that would be crazy because I saw this on this TV show and blah, blah, blah. So I get why they did this headline, like why, yeah, why they wrote yeah. this. No, that, that makes and a lot of sense. Because you're going to click on it if you like science and sci-fi stuff. So, but... I have no idea how we could measure how they can survive space travel. How are you going to measure this if they're sent billions of... I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's really... First of all, I don't think we've sent anything across the stars, quote unquote, across the stars. Yeah. Like, I think we've sent some probes and some stuff into space. Maybe they've left our solar system. I don't think we've ever made it to another star. Like, I don't... No, that's it. So I don't know how you would take back this 30 ray that has been sent like billions of light years. Yeah, that's And then weird. take it back and say, oh, okay, now it's dead or alive. Or you can't just bring it back to Earth like this. So... Yeah, yeah, no. All right, so we'll call this one false. Um <laughs> The next two, I'll combine them. So there's an article by the AV Club that's called These Organisms Are Going to Live Forever and Not in the Fame Sense. And then there's an article from Popular Science that's called 10 Weird Little Aliens You Can Find Right Here on Earth. And in that article, it said, Once a tardigrade even bounced back to life after 30 years frozen. And they, it just it was a lot about it coming back to life. Well, for the bouncing back to life, they were just probably sleeping. There was one rotifer, yeah. I, probably you've seen it last year or the year before. It was brought back to life after 24,000 years being frozen. So, in a sense, it works because for other animals that undergo cryptobiosis, it worked after 24,000 years. But yeah. kind of, it's it's better than the other articles yeah from, it's like kind of I true i feel science. like yeah it's kind of true i feel like saying coming back to life is a little misleading because they don't die they don't die no, that's exa yeah, yeah exactly but no you're right it's, it's not totally untrue all right that one that one it's like, like semi-true like yeah. you said sure yeah that makes sense all right next one indestructible water bear bug that can survive in space could revolutionize computing. And that one is what? by the Daily Mail. Ugh, this, is, this is confusing. Well, bug, this bug bugs me because they're, they're not bugs. I agree. First of all. Yeah. They, they have like their own little branch. They're closely related to nematodes and arthropods. So it kind of makes sense they roll bugs. But anyways, that was in the large sense, I think. They're not indestructible, like we said, of course. And revolutionize computing. I don't know. I have no idea yeah. what would be the, the, the link between. Yeah, the next one, we can skip the next one because that one is saying that they're immortal and they can live forever, which you already yeah. said that they can't. Oh, this one is funny. Okay. This one is from Invisiverse. It's tougher than steel. Tardigrades will survive until the sun explodes. That's a good clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, cool. I want to know more. But yeah, everything it doesn't make sense. Okay. Like, yeah, that, un yeah. <laughs> until the sun explodes. 
Like when it's going to become a supernova and everything? I guess so, but that's in billions of years. Who knows what'll be around then? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. All right. Um. Okay, the last one is the unkillable water bear uses fluorescent shield to withstand deadly radiation. And that is by CNET. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> like a fluorescent shield? I've never read about this fluorescent shield, but... Uh, uh, I would buy one. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, okay, so the point is, all of these headlines are confusing, but I think the point is just that, like, I wish people could just appreciate them for what they are and not come right? up with these crazy claims. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We live in a society that loves to dream and Hollywood stuff and, like, we just love stuff that is too good to be true sometimes so it's nice to believe some of these things but sadly some people really think that they can't die and it's not the reality and there's a lot of stuff in science and microscopy that is so misleading you've probably seen a lot of viral videos maybe on tiktok or some stuff like this that it's just complete bullshit like i don't want to talk trash but you can talk trash here. It's fine. Uh, there, I, I don't remember like the name of the, the dude, but he has more than 10 million followers on TikTok. And this is mostly because of fake videos that they did, like putting worms on food. Yeah, a lot of worms on food and that freaks people out. And people believe all that stuff. So after this, it's really hard for, for them to tell what is true and what is not, especially in, the, in science, because... Yeah. Science is hard sometimes to understand if you don't study it or if you're not interested in it. So it's easy to believe stuff that seems to be good good science. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And it's not. Yeah, that's why for this podcast, I have you on and I have other people on who I know aren't going to make stuff up because I do. I get really upset when I'm on. I mostly am just on Instagram and we, we live in this culture now where there's so many people doing things just to get views and followers and clicks. And it's mm-hmm. like very sad to me because I think the real science is important and Sometimes yeah, absolutely. people misleading people is bad. But, you know, your account doesn't do that. My account doesn't do that, I think. Um, exactly. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, there's a, a lot of accounts that are doing good science, and thank God. And I have probably, you know, One Minute Micro. Well, he's one of my friends, and he's, he even does stuff on YouTube where he takes some viral videos of fake stuff and he explained how they made it like oh, how it's possible to uh, cheat something and he explained like step by step okay so this person took a sample of food and then a sample of pond water and take this pond water and put it on the food so you think there's a lot of microbes and worms on yeah. it. so yeah. i love that he does that because apart from him there aren't people doing that like i'm not doing that either but i won't share fake stuff or stuff like this i just try to ignore it but i love that he takes some time to uh, debunk some of these viral videos yeah that's awesome chloe this has been so great if listeners want to follow your work where can they find you even though i think we've already said it a million times (laughs) (laughs) uh turdy babe on all platforms so uh, youtube tiktok insta and i'm soon launching my website and there will be some prints available. Awesome. I don't know when 
Yeah, uh, we're currently working on it, and my girlfriend is making uh, stickers too. That'll be exciting. Okay. Like I sell prints and stickers on my website, and the tardigrade, yes. the tardigrade ones do the best. So you're you're gonna make a lot of <laughs> nice. money. Yeah, that'll be good. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was amazing. Of course. What a great conversation. I especially loved how open Chloe is about where to find tardigrades and how to collect them. I hope you all go out and look for some. And if you find any and send me the pictures, I'll definitely share them on my Instagram. I just want to correct one minor thing. I mentioned towards the beginning of the episode that in an animal, a foreign gene would have to be transferred to a germ cell, so a sperm or eggs, to be retained and passed down to future generations. This is often the case, but I want to clarify that that only really applies to sexually reproducing multicellular organisms. If the organism is asexual, there are other ways to keep a new fragment of DNA and pass it on, even if it isn't in a reproductive cell. Also, the study Chloe quoted about tardigrades and horizontal transfer, as she herself said, is very controversial. The work in that study was refuted a year later by another study that found that at most, at the very most, only 1-2% to HGT was within the tardigrade genome that they were studying. Clearly, this kind of work needs to be verified and redone, maybe with a better sequencing technology like long-read sequencing. I will say that in general, horizontal genetic transfer is probably the most instantaneous way to acquire a rapid and already evolutionarily optimized adaptation, and lots of organisms that live in extreme environments have a high incidence of foreign DNA in their genomes. So it wouldn't be surprising if tardigrades had a few really interesting HGTs, but again, that one study that had a suspiciously high number was just not good. See, there is tardigrade misinformation in the mainstream media, as well as the scientific literature. Although I know the case in the scientific lit was a mistake and it wasn't malicious. Anyway, I hope you all learned something new about tardigrades today, and that if you aren't already following Chloe's work, that you check it out. And now for today's A Cool Microscopic or Small Thing I Saw This Week, where I highlight the work of others on social media. Chloe mentioned that she first got into microscopy by following Penny Fenton, who is on Instagram as at postgraduate underscore procrastination. I also follow and really enjoy her work. On January 29th, she posted a video of ciliates, which are a type of single-celled protists living in the stomach of worms. It's very cool. Definitely go take a look and give her a follow. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share the podcast. And it would be really nice if you could write a review. Tiny Living Beings is a Couch Microscopy production. Intro music is by Elf Power, and outro and transition music is by El Felipe Beniches. For more information on microbes or the podcast in general, please follow at couch underscore microscopy on Instagram or at couch microscopy on Twitter. You can also find some relevant merch on couchmicroscopy.com slash store. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all have a great day. <laughs>